This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 68 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Back on Track, with the generous support of Equestrian Collections and Kentucky Performance Products. On the show this week, Stefan Peters describes how he has chosen to prepare Ravel for the World Equestrian Games. To get close to those horses, we have to do at least that what we did last year. And I think we even have to turn it a notch up because they look very, very solid. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Catherine Haddad in Gladstone, New Jersey, and you are listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Catherine. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back and taking advantage of being on the same time zone for a while now that you're in the U.S. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We usually have to talk at such such odd hours of the day, but it is nice to be in the same time time zone again. Well, uh, how's it going up there? I know you're in training camp now for the final few weeks here of preparation for the Games as the reserve. Are you having fun? I'm having fun. My horse is going better and better every day. He's really improving in the work, and I can't complain at all. I'm, I'm very excited about his progress. And it's fun to be in the training camp with everybody. Uh, Stefan hasn't arrived yet. He'll be here tomorrow. But um, everybody else is in the camp, and um, we're, you know, we're working together, and it's, been, it's an exciting time. But having just one horse to ride each day, uh, that, 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 that's probably got to be a bit, little bit frustrating. I'm sure you can find other things to do, but I believe you're taking advantage of the time to do some clinics while you're here. Yes, I've been doing an awful lot of teaching because I do have only the one horse to ride every day. And um, there's a couple places where I'm teaching quite regularly, and uh, that's keeping me busy. So what kind of day do you have at training camp then? Do you have to do other things with the team as part of the preparation, or is that a little bit early for that yet? No, um, we are actually on a pretty strict schedule. There's training every morning for all five horses. It'll be six horses in another day here. And pretty much everybody shows up in time to watch everyone else train. So you sit and watch and listen and learn. And um, we've also had meetings with the sports psychologist. And we've all been required to do that, which I think is a good thing. I I was already meeting with a sports psychologist before I left Europe. And we have um, another lady that's helping us now. So that's always exciting to prepare your best absolute A game for such a big competition. And um, we have some, th- some team activities that we're doing together, you know, a few cocktail parties and dinners, and we're planning a trip into New York this week. Into New York, so we're, huh? We're into the big city. Yeah. So we're really going to let your hair down. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. fun, and it must be fun being part of that team camaraderie, that uh, esprit de corps. Absolutely. And, and so ha- your horse gets uh, ridden, ju- what, just once a day? Do you get any turnout for him, or what kind of routine does he have right now, Catherine? Well, there isn't really any turnout available at the team headquarters in, in Gladstone, um, and most of the horses at this level don't get turned out anyway. That, that's um, pretty par for the course. So uh, they're ridden in the morning, and the majority of the horses are hand-walked in the evening or the afternoon or twice. And so, so lots of time to, to do other activities. Like, do you do any cross-training? You said you spent time with sports psychologists, but any cross-training involved at this time? For myself, you mean? Yes. 
Yeah, well, I do a lot of swimming. I always have, and a lot of walking. Uh, I haven't been walking as much in, in the United States as I normally would in Germany. But um, I'm doing a lot of walking, a lot of extra riding during clinics and teaching, and swimming. Well, so you're a pretty fit girl. I try to stay fit. I think, <sighs> I think it's definitely better for the, for the sport end of things. I mean, if you really want to be a top athlete, then you must, you must stay fit. Sure, sure. Well, tell us about the clinics that you're doing. Have you just been up, uh, obviously, close to that area in New, New Jersey? Um, yeah, in the last week, I stopped traveling to do clinics because I am basically, well, I, I have to be at this training camp every single day to train my horse, so I can't, can't go far from Gladstone. But I'm teaching mostly in the area at the moment, and I did, before we were sequestered in the training camp, I did was teaching in Michigan, and I'd done a clinic in Virginia and a couple other places. And it's been pretty exciting for me to come back to this country and teach. First of all, because people are very interested to learn. Um, there's a lot of riders out there who have good basics and a lot of talent who need some help. And it's always exciting for me to show up and be able to make a big change in riders. And I have to say the biggest change has come out of demonstrating my saddle. We had, we had talked several months ago about a saddle I was designing together with Steuben. And I have the model now, and I've been taking it with me to clinics, and the response has been overwhelming. I would say 10 out of 10 riders ride better in the saddle, and the, the, the change in them when they sit in is remarkable. So I'm very happy about the design, that it works not only for me, but also for other people. And um, that's been exciting because I've been able to help people even more with their seats and their positions and their balance on the horse after they switch to the saddle. Well, that's fantastic. And yeah, and it's not that every rider needs to switch out of the saddle they're riding in, but many riders come to me with saddles that are not appropriate and are proper or improperly balanced on the horse, and they're fighting the equipment so much that they can't really work on developing their own seat. So that's, that gives me great pleasure then to, to simply switch the equipment and say, okay, feel that, do this, and now what do you have? And if I see a big improvement, that's, that's always a pleasure for me. Yeah, it must be very satisfying. Mm, um, yeah, and I, I know we, we did that segment about saddles a, a while ago now. So does this uh, model have a name, Catherine? Yes, Dubin has named it the Genesis Special, which kind of irks me a little bit, I have to be honest, because it really has nothing to do with a Genesis line. Uh, the only thing that it has in common with a Genesis is the leg flap is the same. But the seat and the underskirt and the panels and the tree... Everything else comes from the Steuben Schultheis or the Steuben Tristan. So it's a really nice combination of two different models, uh, also with a Biomex seat. And the name of it is the Steuben Genesis Special. Okay, great. And do you, do you have information on your website about it, Catherine? I don't believe I do, but I have it on my blog. There's um, actually a whole section, I think it's a three-part video, on how to fit this saddle and how to strap it down and how to how to break it in and how it should sit on your horse and all of that thing. It's on my blog at the Chronicle of the Horse. Okay. You're still doing that blog. I know you were having a lot of fun doing that. I am having a lot of fun doing <laughs> that. <laughs> we'll just talk a little bit about the clinics that you're doing, Catherine, because these are probably not necessarily riders that you have, uh, have, have seen in the past or worked with in the past. Maybe there's some new clients there. Um, are they fascinated by you having had that experience of being based in Europe for so long, and, and how do you compare and contrast the, and explain to them the differences between those two training environments? 
Right. I, you know, I do get a lot of questions about that. Of course, people are curious. I've, I've been in Germany for 17 years, and the first question everybody says or asks is, oh, well, do you like it? And then they, they realize, of course, if I've been there for 17 years, obviously I like it. Um, and they want to know what the biggest differences are between riding and, and living and competing in Germany and doing it here. And, you know, there's several, several major differences particularly in the horse industry itself. Uh, the horse industry is much more developed as a, as a commercial industry in Germany than it is in America. In fact, I don't even think you can compare the two industries. And it's very concentrated in a small space. Germany is about the size of, I think, North Carolina or South Carolina. Um, and they have, the industry there is, is probably 40 times as big as the industry in the United States. Now, don't quote me on that figure, I'm guessing but it's concentrated in a very small area. So you get a lot of input from many different facets of the industry, from uh, producing foals from the best mares and stallions to showing foals to buying foals and selling foals, right up to getting a three-year-old ready, broken in and ready for the auction or a three-year-old broken in and ready to show or ready to sell, and then moving up to four-, five-, and six-year-olds who are training to really go to true international competition and then developing horses from the age of five and six to Grand Prix and being able to show them at all levels year-round whenever you want to. So it's a really very different atmosphere. In fact, I was just setting up my schedule for the fall. I will be back uh, home with Winnie Morrow in the first week of, uh, of October, and I was requesting invitations to international shows, and there are six major international competitions Either, either World Cup qualifiers or five stars that I will do from the end of October till Christmas. Yes, so right, right there it tells within, you that. All within driving distance of my table. And mm -hmm. it's really hard unless you go perhaps to Florida for the, the more intense three months or California for the more intense three months of the wintertime. It's really hard to find an area in the United States where you can focus so competitively and so intensely on showing for so many weekends in a row. Yeah, so right there is a classic example, isn't it? I mean, you're just so it's absorbed scary. in it, and and you know, within easy, relatively easy driving distances, you you you've got a choice of shows. Yeah, you're at, and you you are absolutely immersed in the sport when you live in Europe. But you know, there's there's other things, and and I had just again written about this on my blog. I then these things didn't even really hit me until I got home here in the states. I've I've been away. So long. It's been so long since I've lived for an extended period in the United States that some I'd forgotten some things. Um, you know, in in Germany, for instance, all of the shops are closed on Sunday, and that may not sound like a big deal, but it does change your lifestyle. It means that on Saturday you rush around to get all the food for Sunday, make sure you have everything you need before the shops close, and on Sunday you are basically forced to do nothing, at least nothing that has to do with shopping or, you know traveling some great distance to buy a shirt, shirt or, you know, something for dinner, something like that, you basically spend time with your friends on Sundays or with your family. You walk in the forest, you go window shopping, you might go out to dinner, uh, you might watch a movie, but you do something social on Sunday because there's nothing else to do. Yes, social and, and, social and not commercial. Sorry? Social and not commercial. Yeah, exactly. And, and the other difference is, there is no one in Germany, well, very few clients in Germany would ask me to work on a Sunday. 
They just wouldn't ask because it's not done. And that doesn't mean that Americans are wrong to ask. In, in this country, you are expected to work seven days a week. And people don't understand it if you're not willing to do it. They think, well, you know, why doesn't she want to earn the extra money for these lessons? Um, in Europe, it, people just don't ask because you're supposed to have one day a week off. So during the time you've been here, Catherine, is, what have you missed about Germany? Well, walking to work. That would be the, that would be the number one thing. <laughs> when I am in Germany, I walk to work, and um, you know it takes me like 12, 15 minutes to um, to get to where with the dogs. I walk through the forest and to get to where I want to be, and um, that's that really keeps me fit. It keeps my dogs fit, and it's a really enjoyable part of my life. You don't really in the United States. We don't really walk very much. Like I I notice when I go shopping, for instance here unless i'm in a mall um i don't walk i drive to the shop right and i do my shopping i put all the stuff in the car and i leave as uh compared to europe or compared to germany where i live i would go park on the main street of our small town and i would walk to the butcher and i'd walk to the baker and i would walk down to the dairy store and by the time i was finished shopping yeah i'd have my arms full but i would have walked two kilometers so i really miss walking that would be the first thing um, I miss German cars. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But I, I've driven German cars for a long time now, and I'll tell you what, you sure can go fast on that Autobahn. Oh, is, yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, which is really exciting and fun. But um, Well, I'm going to ask you what car you drive in Europe, you know, because we know dressage riders like fast cars. You know, Stefan has a BMW, and, and uh, Debbie has a Porsche. So what do you drive? Audi. I have an Audi A3, which, oh, okay. uh, an Audi A3 sports model, actually. All right. Well, I have to tell you that I also drive an Audi. It's the Q5. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Well, I really like Audi. I, I had Mercedes for many years, and um, the Audi just beats it hand, hands down. So that's, that's what I drive there at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, it, I don't want to make it sound like everything is better in Europe because it, it's not. I mean, since coming home, there a lot of things have struck me as being much more um, advantageous or, or, or easy or comfortable in America. Number one is cheap gas. And I know everybody complains that it's, that it's 250 a gallon, but I'll tell you what, we pay four times that in Germany. Mm, yes. So I am quite shocked to fill up my car for $36 at the gas station because in Germany it would cost me 75 euro, which is almost $100. Mm, yes. So that's nice. I'll tell you something else. In this country, we have great hay for the horses. You cannot, in Germany, cannot find the quality of hay that we have here. And my horse is just loving it. He never wants to leave. He loves the hay that he's getting every day. Cleans it up to the last speck. And it's, it's very nutritional or full of nutrition. And um, he's in really good condition because of it. Um, we also have here U.S. beef. You can't get around that. The U.S. beef is great. I think we talked about that last time we spoke. We, we I mean, did. Yes, we did. And, I, and, of course, you also divulged your uh, your indulgence in ice cream sandwiches, too. Ice cream sandwiches. I can't, I've gone <laughs> off those now. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah. You know, I had four weeks of, of overindulgence in, in ice cream sandwiches, and I don't think I need to eat another one for a few years. I think I'm okay with that now. So, and you know, I, because I've been living here so close to New York City, I've been able to go into the city a couple times, and, you know, New York is fabulous. You can, 
have anything you want in New York City. It all depends on what you choose to do and what you choose to see. It's a fabulous, fabulous place. And I got to visit um, the Metropolitan Museum, which was fun. It's something I'd always wanted to do. And I saw a couple paintings there that I had seen in some art books that I really wanted to see in person and was not disappointed. So that was quite thrilling for me. And there's one, I have to say, there's one more thing I have to add. I'm fly fishing here. You're fly fishing? I not, yes, I haven't done it in years. I, as a kid, I grew up in, in um, Michigan with a fly rod in my hand. Basically, every summer I fly fish with my grandfather. And since moving to Europe, I haven't done that because all of the rivers are, um, how do you say it, posted. And yes. they belong to the people who, who own the land on the riverside. Right. And many of the right. rivers are also groomed and straightened and made practical. And they're just, they're not in their wild state. And the fishing is very controlled. And you, you not only have to have a license to do it, but you have to take a course and prove that you're capable of fishing and this kind of thing. So it's, I've never fished there. And I was totally surprised to find that in this particular county in New Jersey, in this area, there are dozens of trout streams. I mean, I'm, I am surrounded by trout streams. So I've done a little bit of fly fishing since I've been here, and it's just been fantastic. I feel like a kid again. Well, good for you. I never thought of yeah. you as a, as a fly fisher, but, you know, you just never know what, what uh, <laughs> <You> <laughs> the music is. Uh, so are you just fishing for trout? Yeah, yeah. I caught, uh, I caught a brown trout last week. I would say it was between 9 and 10 inches. I didn't measure it, didn't have anything to measure it with. But it's catch and release here, so I couldn't really prove it to anyone, and no one believes me. Ah. I'm taking my, I'm taking my, um, my camera with next time. Yeah, I think you should. And, and are there any opportunities to, uh, to catch and keep? Well, that I don't know. I don't know. So they're not going to finish up on you? You're not going to be cooking them afterwards? Yeah, well, we have enough things to cook here, so we don't really have to cook trout from the river. But, um, well, I think yeah. you should put a photograph of you on your blog, Catherine, of you fishing with uh, and catching this trout before you toss it back in. That's a good idea. I, I think could, you definitely should. Yeah, Def- I could do that. I definitely. could talk about fly fishing on my blog. Sure, why not? There you go. Well, you heard it here on the Dressage Radio Show. Uh, Catherine Haddad is actually a fly fisher at heart. <laughs> there you go. I'm a fly fisher woman at heart. <laughs> All right, Catherine. Well, we've got a great show this week. As I mentioned, uh, Stefan Peters is going to join us. I managed to catch up with him as he makes his way to the training camp there in New Jersey as part of the final preparation for the World Equestrian Games. But before we get to him, I want to uh, um, introduce Glenn now, who's going to talk to us about our new sponsor who'd like to welcome to the Dressage Radio Show, Back on Track. So let's hear what uh, Glenn has to tell us about this company and uh, give them a big welcome to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Glenn the Geek here. Chris and I would like to welcome Back on Track as the new title sponsor for this show. Back on Track is a great company run by one of the nicest guys in the horse world. You know Back on Track for quality products that benefit your horse. And top riders from many disciplines use Back on Track's products to warm up their horse's muscles before exercise, thus reducing the risk of strains or injury. More importantly, they use the product's dual capacity to prevent injury as well as ease and expedite the recovery of already present injuries. That is what makes Back on Track products so unique. Back on Track products' genuine aim is to contribute towards your horse's well-being and good health in the easiest, most comfortable, and pleasant way. Learn more about Back on Track products at backontrackproducts.com. 
Bo, welcome to the Horse Radio Network. Well, our thanks again to uh, Back on Track. We're delighted for you to join us and be a part of the Horse Radio Network. And as I remind you all, the sponsors make these shows possible, so please support them in the way they support us. Well, as I mentioned, I was able to catch up with Stefan Peters, who uh, is is like uh, all the rest of the team that are getting ready now for the final preparation here towards the World Equestrian Games. He was bringing Raval over to Gladstone, New Jersey, for these final days of training, and so I was glad to be able to catch up with him. So I want to share that conversation with you. He's going to tell us uh, how he has made those choices to prepare Ravel for these games. Well, Stefan, uh, welcome back to the show, and thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's great to have you on, and I know this is obviously a very busy time now as you get into your final preparations for the World Equestrian Games, but we wanted to take this opportunity. Um, as you know, we've spoken to all the, the team members here of the U.S. team and in their final preparations, and, of course, we didn't see you in Gladstone for the first, but that's the selection trials. You were given a bye with Ravel. So let's uh, catch up a little bit, uh, Stefan, with what you've been doing with him this this year in, in preparing him for the Games? You know, we uh, took a little bit easy during the summer, and, uh, you know, we said this already last year after um, the show in um, Aachen, you know, that we would um, bubble wrap him and take it really easy. So that was uh, the plan all along because I find it really hard to keep a horse peaking for that long. And I have utmost respect for my competitors who are able to uh, to do this through the summer. But we decided um, he needs to peak the last um, two months here in August and September. And uh, so far, this plan has been working out great. And I was very thankful that the committee decided um, for Ravel to receive the buy. And um, this gave us the option to stay at home a little bit longer in his environment um, with his shoer, with his feet, with his uh, regular surroundings. And on the first, I'm sorry, on the second weekend of um, Gladstone, while everybody was competing in their second Grand Prix, uh, we did a Grand Prix here at home as well. And it was one of um, Robel's best go. I decided with um, Akiko and Anne that he, out of fairness to our uh, teammates, he needs to prove himself once more real quick in the show arena to make sure he is fit and he's ready to go. And it worked out beautifully. He um, received an 82%. It was one of his best goes. And um, it's, it's one of, it was one of those rides where I said, gosh, you know, I wish I would have this one about uh, five, six weeks from now. <laughs> so I was really excited, and uh, the word traveled very quickly. Brian O'Connor was able to announce the score over the um, uh, speaker system at Gladstone, and it was a wonderful feeling to, uh, you know, since we were named to the team to show up with the last second with a score like that. Well, of course, I'm sure... You know, with with such a valuable horse as this, the the least you can stress you can put on him, obviously, the, that that is so critically important, and minimise the travelling, you know, back and forth across the country. Um, how does he Correct. take this? How does he take this preparation, Stefan? When he get, he probably knows now he's been doing it long enough that he's preparing for the big show. How does he prepare? What what kind of mental state does he get into? Is he easy to ride, or does it when he gets fitted, does he get more difficult to ride? 
you know, he's one of those amazing horses that um, stay so extremely leveled. You know, it's uh, we have um, every single day, you know, we have our routine, for instance, Monday and Tuesdays, we do a little bit more work. Wednesdays is a real easy day where we just do some suppling exercises. And then Thursday and Friday, we work on um, some of the collected movements again. And um, as fitter as he gets right now, he stays so calm and so relaxed um, in between. You know, for instance, when I give him a long rein, you know, there uh, the, the extra energy that he has right now doesn't work against us. So, you know, I said it so many times how lucky I am to ride a horse like that and how lucky I am to ride for an owner um, such as Akiko. So things are going well, and to be honest, I wish, I honestly wish the World Games would be in the next two weeks because we're both totally ready for this. <laughs> You're totally ready. Well, tell me about his temperament when he's uh, in the stable. What kind of temperament does he have, and how does he appear as he's <clears throat> getting fitter? Is he, is he just the same, or is he more sociable or less sociable? You know, he's, he's the same, and I have to say he's very, very sociable with people. He's not very sociable with other horses. He's, he's a very, very independent horse. Um, we have at our barn, um, the you know, he has uh, uh, a window where he can stick his head out to both sides, to the outside of the barn and to the, the barn aisle. And he always um, keeps his ear for, ears forward when somebody's walking by. But when horses walk by or when it's feeding time, then he gets very, very defensive and to the point where we really have to watch him because it can be dangerous. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's where he likes to launch at other horses. And um, when we um, have him at a show where he can see other horses right next to him, we usually put a cooler on the divider um, so that he doesn't see the other horses. But he would be, you know, I, I think he's one of those horses that's so independent and um, his ego is pretty high that he thinks he, he kind of should own the whole property and the property's there for him. You know, that's that's kind of the attitude. But when you um, deal with him as far as, um, you know, on a personal basis, groom to horse or owner to horse, rider to horse, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. He's so easy to handle and is so perfect in the cross ties. Um, just a pleasure to deal with. And this also goes along with uh, the transportation. I mean, he seems to like uh, flying all over the world as soon as we reach altitude. I've seen him many times taking a little nap, and he he drinks perfectly. So it's really fun to deal with. It's just the um, the whole idea of you know sharing food and people with other horses that that doesn't work for him he's a private kind of guy is he yeah very much so yeah. so so how does he handle uh, we, if he, we, if, we, go ahead and we we obviously accept it you know he's certainly a little bit spoiled and you know for that what he has delivered so far in the show arena you know we, we totally accept that he's quite spoiled so how does he handle if even if he is a good good at flying um that's a very enclosed mm-hmm. space for him to be so close to the other horses um, how does he deal with that you know most containers are set up for three horses so we leave um half a space um in the middle um in between the other horse so he 
he knows the horse is next to him, but it's far enough away that he um, he doesn't get too defensive. But if the horse would be right next to him, um, that would be trouble. For instance, when we trailer him somewhere uh, next to him, there's always space for hay or equipment, but we never put a horse next to him. Now, when you're at a competition, Stefan, and he's this fit, do you change your routine at all with him as to how you prepare him and the time you take to prepare him? Talk us through that. Is there any special routines that you have when you're in competition? Um, you know, the, the last few weeks, things don't really change that much. I believe in um, the workout that works for him at home. There, most of the days are about are about a 30-minute workout. And I think we've reached already a fitness level that he can uh, easily compete with. And that's why I said I wish it would be in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, putting the... Um, the fitness and moment aside, what's what's more important, um, what's in the heart, you know, and he just gives every single day so much. And um, I've had this before, you know, where he had, where he had a little bit of a runny nose, you know, probably just a little bit of a cold going on, and he still tries 100%. That's the type of horse he is. So, you know, he he's always willing to work, and that's why the, the fitness is important, but it's much more important what's in their what's in their heart, and that's where he really shines. And when you get to the the World Games, Stefan, does his warm up routine change much from being at home, or do you still allow the same amount of time? Same amount of time. We, um, you know, I I don't believe in changing things too much. You know, once you have a routine that works, um, I usually stick with this and. The way it's going to work in Kentucky, we're going to have a pretty long walk from the barn to the show arena. And I know already I'm going to have the stopwatch out of my iPhone and time it down to the to the second. I don't know exactly how long it'll take me from the barn to the warm-up arena so that I have my calculated walk time. And then, um, you know, there's a, um, there's usually a five- to seven-minute um first phase in the warm-up where we just uh, stretch him nicely. And um, then we slowly start with the, with the canter work, uh, probably work through all the movements um, at least once. We usually do our flying changes twice. And um, I usually stay away from riding the required strides in the zigzag half pass because it's such an easy movement where horses um, learn to easily anticipate. So, you know, we school that and also the um, we do a couple tight pirouettes and then we finish with a few large pirouettes. That's pretty much then our canter work. And, <clears throat> and then I touch up on the trot work and the very last stage of the warm-up is usually where I enter once more on the center line then I ask for for an extension, and the last five minutes of the warm up will be uh, Piaf Passage because that's the moment where it really counts. That's where I want once more his obviously his full attention and his his maximum effort because um, for a horse that's a little bit more laid back as he is, he really needs to um, uh, show once more that he's 
totally committed and have this, um, you know, really shows this, this perfect effort that's required for the Piaf Passage. And I usually give myself, like I said, four or five minutes for that. And then um, it's usually time to get dressed and, you know, hopefully support the team with a really good go. Now, being the private guy that he is, how does he deal with the other horses that are working close to him in that warm-up area in the final moments before his test, Stefan? Fortunately, um, that's not a problem because he's um, he's very respectful. He might pin his ears back a few times, but um, that's only when horses get extremely close. And But he, he won't show any other reactions. I mean, right there he knows it's... Um, you know, it's all about the respect um, to other horses and to the riders. So we, we never had a problem there. Now, being in the horse park, of course, you've got over 1,200 acres to, to go for a stroll with him. Would you be inclined to do that or uh, at all during the competition? Or do you keep him focused in the warm-up arena, in the schooling arenas? You know, from judging from previous experience, you know, this worked out great. We had the opportunity to do this in um, in Hong Kong. It was a beautiful park that um, was about half a mile away from the uh, competition arena. It was a big racetrack with a park in the middle, and it just worked out great. We um, we took some walks out there, and this um, certainly was the case in Aachen. In fact, uh, the day before the freestyle in Aachen, uh, we went for a nice long walk um, on the Snaffle Rain. We didn't do any work. The first two days were... Um, so brilliant that I said, you know what? What else can I possibly ask for? So we just went out in our in the snaffle bridle, took for went for a half an hour walk in the morning, and then we um, did the same thing in the afternoon, and it uh, paid off big time. And that would be the plan for for this year if we uh, if we make it well through the precinct. I'm sorry for the precinct, George. We better not go to that level. <laughs> <laughs> if you make it good through the through the Grand Prix and the the Grand Prix special, then um, I, you know, it, I, I definitely take him for another walk um, the day before the freestyle if we qualify for it. Well, you know this horse so well now, Stefan, and you, you, you're obviously getting to the peak with him in his career. What would your realistic expectations be, knowing that the competition that will be at these games? Well, you know, um, I, I've always been very realistic about it and I saw um, Totilas, Parcival and Mistral in Aachen this year and, and let's face it those uh, let's face it those horses are extremely tough to beat um, even <clears throat> Mistral looked absolutely um, amazing in the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix special so to, to get close to those horses we have to do at least that what we did last year and um, I think we even have to turn it a notch up because they look very, very solid. Um, let's not forget, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Imke with uh, Sunrise, who has a hell of a freestyle as well. Um, I never underestimate Isabel in a major competition. So, um, the, you know, the, I think the top five is realistic. And... Um, have I dreamed about a medal? Absolutely. <laughs> but it's, at the moment, at the moment, it's a dream. And it again, you know, we have to still produce that what we did last year. And like I said, we, 
probably even have to be a little bit better. And I will do my very, very best to to get there, you know, and not just doing your best in the show. You know, there's, um, you know, we have such a neat situation right now with uh, with our training camp here in, in Gladstone, working with Anne. And uh, it's it's a great camaraderie. So the the team effort is is wonderful. And I always say we we can't just do our best. We have to put ourselves in the position to do our best. And there won't be any partying going on. There will be um, you know every single night there'll be a good night of sleep. There'll be some exercise. There'll be um, you know um, I keep a close eye on nutrition each day. We'll have our, um, we have a few sessions with our sports psychologist. So even though we had, um, you know, training camps before, we never were at a facility where just the, um, the team trains together. And that's what's so unique. And <clears throat> it's been a lot of fun. And I really think that we can produce just because of that, the very best results at Kentucky. Well, I was going to ask you about your own fitness regime. You touched on that, how you're mindful of nutrition and exercise. Do you find riding horses is enough for this level of high-performance competition, Stefan, or do you do some cross-training as well? I do some cross-training, and um, especially at home, you know, riding six, seven horses, it, it certainly helps. But here at Gladstone, one horse, um, I don't think it's enough to maintain the fitness level. And um, I'm fortunate that I have a wonderful uh, personal trainer that works with me at home, and that gave me um, who gave me some some great homework. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> I stick to this uh, routine <clears throat> quite religiously. Terrific. Well, just a few weeks now, as you say, to get to uh, the World Equestrian Games. Stefan, we want to thank you so much for spending this time with us and, and sharing with us your final preparation. And uh, hopefully we will catch up with you in the horse park uh, in a few weeks and get you on the show again. But between now and then, uh, the very best of luck in these final preparations, Stefan. We wish you all the very best when you get to the horse park in your bid for a medal at the World Equestrian Games. That's great. Thank you so much for having me, Chris, and I'm uh, looking forward to talk to you in Kentucky. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, our thanks again to Stefan, and uh, he's going to be joining you uh, momentarily, I believe, Catherine, as we record. He's uh, on his way to you, and uh, then all the team will be complete. Uh, what does the rest of that uh, time in Gladstone look like for you? Is it just becoming more intense now before you move down to Kentucky? Well, the training is certainly becoming a little bit more intense. Everybody is, is tuning up and, and trying to get the horses a little quicker in their responses and polishing things for the major competition coming up. We do have two sessions planned with judges who will watch us ride the test and give us comments afterward and try to correct some things that we're not doing as well as we can. Um, Ann Gribbins is there every day as our team advisor giving advice and, and watching everybody ride and train. So... I would say that things are heating up, but in a very, very positive way for us. And we will train at the headquarters until the 18th of September when the horses ship out. They ship out that evening to Kentucky. So you come down here then, and, and as the reserve, I believe your horse doesn't actually go into the horse park. Is that correct? No, he's, he does not have a box at the horse park. You get the box at a, at a neighboring stable at Reese Koffler's place. And um, he'll be staying there for the week leading up to the vet check.
Okay. Well, Reese, of course, is a great friend of the Dressage Radio Show and the Horse Radio Network. So uh, we'd be delighted that uh, you guys are going to get together. And she, uh, of course, is always so welcoming here in Kentucky. And uh, I hope you'll ha- you'll have some stories, and hopefully, we'll be able to catch up with you and uh, share some of your experiences while you're here in Kentucky, Catherine. Yeah, that would be great, actually. Love to meet you. And, well, we're going to uh, hear a training tip from you in just a second. But before we do, Catherine, we're going to hear from Glenn the Geek, who's going to tell us about Kentucky Performance Products. Hi, Glenn the Geek here. I'm going off the script for the Kentucky Performance Products commercial this week. And the reason I'm doing that is because there was a recent blog post about me that says I'm overly enthusiastic about the products that we talk about here on the Horse Radio Network. Well, that's true. We're very selective about the companies that we accept as advertisers on the Horse Radio Network. We will not we will not talk about and we will not put commercials into our shows for products that we don't believe in. And one of those pro- companies is Kentucky Performance Products. We believe in them, and that's why I get so excited about the commercials we do for them. We had the opportunity the other night. We had a get-together with Karen and some of her staff from Kentucky Performance Products, and it was plainly evident the enthusiasm and the dedication they have to making a product that's good for your horse that benefits your horse's health and i am just more convinced than ever after our dinner the other night that kentucky performance products is the place you want to go for all the supplement needs for your horse check out all the products at kppusa.com that's kppusa.com and i will not apologize for my enthusiasm well, Catherine, it's all about training as far as you're concerned, and I believe you've got a great tip this week about training the PF. Yes, yes, I do. Um, it's just something I've been working on in recent days with Vinyamaro. Everyone wants the PF to sit a little bit so that the hindquarters are lower than the withers and lower than the pole to make the ideal picture in PF. And unfortunately, many of us concentrate on lowering the pelvis when, in fact, the pelvis of the horse when in fact you can, you can make the same change in balance on the horse simply by lifting the front end or riding the withers and the pole higher. So um, this is a technique that you obviously need a trained eye and a trained, um, a trained feel to work with because you don't want to get that front end too light, if you know what I mean. But um, generally speaking, I try to get my horse's hind legs quite active with the pole slightly lowered. So I've got a really active hock and a really active hind leg with the pole just a little bit lower than where I want it. And then I take all of that activity from the hind end, and I keep it quick, I keep it active, as I push the withers and the pole up with my feet and maybe touch the horse in front a little bit with the rein so that it lifts his front end. And if you've got a lot of activity coming from behind and you know how to elevate the front end with your seat to hand contact, then you get a piaf that sits. That's a great tip, uh, and... And, of course, this this doesn't come overnight. This is uh, several weeks and months of training to get the PF where you need it to be. I- explain a little bit about that process when you first start to train that PF, Catherine. Well, I, I mean, I think it takes horses years to develop a correct PF. It really isn't a matter of months. And uh, in the first one to two years, what you're really looking for is creating a lot of speed and activity in the hind legs. And there are several ways to do it. My favorite way is to put the horse on a circle in the middle of the arena and ride as an exaggerated large um, turn on the forehand so that you've got the forehand coming slightly to the inside of the circle and the hind legs are on a larger circle 
And therefore, when you start trotting a little bit in half steps, the hind legs have to go quicker on the larger circle to keep up with the turning of the front legs. So you're making a larger circle with the hind end, a smaller circle with the front end, and because the hind legs get so quick doing that, all you have to do when you want to ask for your first couple steps of Piaf is close your outside leg and direct that quick energy underneath the horse instead of to the outside of the circle. And if you're able to do that um, in a really systematic way, you'll get a horse who takes a few steps of Piaf without, without effort. It's just you've changed the direction of the energy on the circle. So that's the way I start it. And then later on when I get on a more advanced horse like what Vinyamaro is now, um, there's many, 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 many other techniques for getting the Piaf to international quality. Great. Well, we'll follow up with, uh, with that the next time we have you on, I think, Catherine, and maybe also talk about uh, pirouette too and start, yeah, start, to starting those, those higher movements off. All right, terrific. Well, thank you so much for that. Equestrian Collections is a true innovator in the retail horse world, and they have done it again, this time with their new shipping program. It's called their Unlimited Shipping Program, and there are two options, and you can choose the one that's best for you. It's simple. Pay only $34.95 one time a year and get unlimited one-way shipping to you from Equestrian Collections. You heard right. Pay only $34.95 once a year for unlimited shipments. The second option is only $15 more. You pay only $49.95 for unlimited two-way shipping. That means even your returns will be covered. That's unlimited shipping both ways for as little as 15 cents a day. Think about it. Even if you ordered every day, you won't pay any more for those shipments. Now that's an innovative company at Equestrian Collections.com. Well, I want to remind you all about our coverage at the World Equestrian Games, which just happens now in a couple of weeks' time. We will be having a preview um, next week here on the show. We'll be looking uh, at the leading nations as they contend for the medals. So all that on next week's show. And our coverage during the World Equestrian Games will be each day of of the dressage competition. Of course, the competition itself begins on September 27th with the Grand Prix and also the 28th. And then the Grand Prix Special is on the 29th and the freestyle will be on October 1st. And our recording schedule is slightly off because of the the late uh, timing of the freestyle on the evening, but it begins um, after the Grand Prix on September 27th. We will be recording between 6 and 7, and the same again on the day 2 on the 28th, between 6 and 7 p.m., and then uh, after the Grand Prix Special, we will, on the 29th, we will be recording it between 5.30 and 6.30 p.m. And then, as I said, the freestyle takes place, of course, on the 1st, and that doesn't finish till late. So we're going to be recording the final show of our World Equestrian Games coverage the following morning on October the 2nd, between 7.30 and 8.30 a.m. So if you're in the horse park for the World Equestrian Games, come over to the Tech Pavilion. We will be recording on stage to a live audience and planning to have some great guests on the show. So come along and say hello to us over at the Oltec Pavilion, which is in the main parking lot of the Kentucky Horse Park. So a very exciting schedule we have lined up for all of my shows, for dressage, jumping, and eventing during the World Equestrian Games. And that schedule of our recording times will be posted on our show notes, as always, at dressageradio.com, where you will find the rest of our notes 
relating to the show and each episode. And you can also find us on Facebook, of course, and Catherine too. Catherine is a, a, a very active social networker, aren't you, Catherine? A blogger, a tweeter, and, and do, how do you find, do you do all of the, the social networking yourself, Catherine? Yes, I do. I do. I, I wish I had someone who did it for me, <laughs> but I do. And, I, you know, I, especially being this far away from home in the moment, in the moment, I enjoy turning on Facebook and seeing what's happening with my friends in Germany and keeping in touch with everybody. So, um, actually, I don't mind it. So will your family be catching up with you while you're here? Will they come to Kentucky? Yes, as a matter of fact, for the, the week before the vet check, uh, I believe that several of my family members are going to meet me there. Terrific. And, of course, um, as you said, you will be here till the vet check. And, right. and then I believe you're going up to Dressage at Devon. That's right. I'll be, my horse will be headed back to Gladstone for a few days of rest, and then we are going to show at Devon. Terrific. Well, co- assuming I'm not needed for the team this year. Of course, yeah. Well, terrific. At least you have a competition to head towards yeah. if that becomes yes, necessary. I'm quite necessary. happy about that. Yeah, terrific. All right, Catherine, well, we look forward to catching up with you when you get to Kentucky. And I want to remind you all that not only can you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you can also send me your comments and questions, chris at horseradionetwork.com, or leave me a voicemail at 270-803-0025. I'd like to thank all our sponsors and our very new presenting sponsor here on the Dressage Radio Show, Back on Track. Thanks to all of them for making this show possible. Thanks to our executive director, Glenn the Geek, and my editor, Brian, for turning these shows out every week. And don't forget to check out all the other shows here on the Horse Radio Network. We now have eight shows, something for everyone. And whilst you're in Kentucky, if you are coming to Lexington for the games, don't forget to visit Glenn and Samantha, who will be presenting the 2010 radio show daily at the International Equestrian Festival. So be sure to go down, down to downtown Lexington, the Rep Arena, the Lexington Convention Center right there, and uh, check them out. Go and say hello. And tell them that you're a regular listener of the Dressage Radio Show, too, and say hi from me. All right, Catherine, well, that about wraps it up this week. And So, so you'll be heading south to uh, Lexington in, what, uh, just over a week's time? Yeah, you'll be coming. it's about 10 days. It'll be yeah. about 10 days I leave here. Terrific, terrific. Well, we'll catch up with you when when you get here, and we want to wish you all the best. Enjoy the rest of your training camp up there, and any fly fishing that you may be, may be able to fit in in the interim. Thanks. I, w- I will certainly do that. All right, Catherine. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. It's always great to have you here. Thanks to all of you for, for listening, and don't forget I'll be back here same time, same place next week. So until then... Thanks to everybody around the world for listening to the Dressage Radio Show. And don't forget to practice safe riding by always wearing your helmet and fastening your chin straps.